I probably told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. <laughs> In 1994, I graduated from Perkins School of Theology at SMU and began a full-time ministry as an associate pastor at A&M United Methodist Church in College Station, where I had been serving already as a part-time student minister. Then in the spring of 1995, a strategic phone call was placed to someone who then placed another strategic phone call that outed me as a lesbian. And eventually, I took a leave of absence from the position I was in, and then I resigned my credentials as a United Methodist minister. The pain was searing. This was the church that I had been baptized into. Uh, it was the church that I had been confirmed in. It was the church that I had been ordained a deacon in. And now, I didn't have my ordained credentials anymore. But God had other plans, as you might imagine, or I wouldn't be standing here today. In 1996, I had found my way into the United Church of Christ and was, was, well, and was ordained and eventually called to serve Friends Congregational Church, United Church of Christ in College Station, Texas, where I served for seven years. Fast forward to 2006. I was then serving as senior pastor of Cathedral of Hope, and one of my associate pastors, who had graduated from Perkins, was invited to preach at Perkins School of Theology's chapel service. Well, we were all so excited, the whole staff went to the service. And the worship service included the service of the Sacrament of Holy Communion. As I, and so, as I prepared to come forward, we came from each side, and two, two at a time coming down toward the altar to receive communion. To my horror, the man who had made the call for the necessary people, it became apparent to me that he and I were going to end up side by side to come to the table. And I thought, how can this be? I mean, after all these years of pain, I'm going to stand here and line up next to this person and go to the communion table. And so we went. And I came back and sat down. And I realized that that was all done. And, and more than ever, I discovered the mystery and the healing presence of coming to the table. And eventually, that pastor and I were able to reconcile. Well, you may wonder what today's scripture reading from Matthew has to do with hospitality. Or the communion table. Because what we hear today is the follow-up story. Last week we heard the story about Jesus saying to the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, always ready to raise his hand, says... Pick me, pick me, pick me, and says, you are the Christ. You are the living child of God. And Jesus celebrates that answer. But now we hear the story that follows that. And in that story, Peter is sure he knows what goes in the divine column. 
He knows what God is supposed to look like and be like and what this Messiah is supposed to look like and be like, right? So soaring prayers, unstoppable strength, miraculous power, radiant glory, and endless ease. Surely these are the qualities of the Messiah. And in the human column, Peter has also figured that out. That is where grief and pain belong. That is where conflict and brokenness should go. All the grittiness and sorrow of the world go in that column. Divine and human. What Peter misses is that all our human things, all of creation, is infused with the presence of God. Infused with the presence of what is divine. Even our struggles, our challenges, and our sufferings. And that's hard for us to get to, right? It's hard for us to understand in the midst of our struggles and challenges and sufferings that God is somehow in the midst of that. That the divine is still present in the world and in our lives. And this is what Jesus actually tries to teach at the table on the last night of his earthly life when he gathers with family and family of choice and friends and followers that even in bread and wine is the, is the presence of God and he likens that using a metaphor that the presence of the bread is like his body and the juice or wine is like his blood that his very life is found in that metaphor and that even in his suffering and ultimate triumph in resurrection is the divine. This is his great act of hospitality. And this is why he reprimands Peter. Because he wants Peter not to just put things in columns. Not things at opposite of each other. Not that there's a break between humanity and divine nature. That it's all infused together. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes up that clarion call. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And he goes on with all the human things he is hoping that we will do as we follow Jesus. And includes, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at Peace with all. Do you get this? By showing hospitality to strangers, it is actually possible to live peaceably with all. That's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. I just saw, and I'm just going to say that, I'm going to detour a little bit. This morning on one of the CBS programs, I can't remember the CBS this morning or something, um, they were talking about an organization called Better Angels who are bringing together people on the far left, political left, and the far political right into times of sitting together and talking. And they take them through a series of conversations. And that they discover in these meetings that I didn't know people thought about me that way. And both sides have this awakening and discovery. They don't 
try to convince people that there's a right way or a wrong way to be, but simply to learn the humanity that is in everybody. It's an amazing thing, and I can't wait to get online and find out all about it. <laughs> yeah. So we have the capacity to live peaceably with all when we learn how to be hospitable. Okay, now the true church geek is going to come out of me. <laughs> Because I, I am. I'm a true church geek. I, I take that label proudly, and now I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about this table. Because there is so much that we forget or that we don't know. For example, the fact that our communion service begins with praise and thanksgiving and ends with praise and thanksgiving is a model given to us by Jesus. As a Jewish rabbi, he would have participated in what is called the baraka, which was what we call blessing the food, right? A, a saying thank you to God for the food and blessing it to nourish us. And then he would have, at the end of the meal, all meals, participate in the berkath hamazon, which is the grace, the thanksgiving after the meal is shared. We, we thank you, O oh God, that we have been together, that we have shared this meal, that it has nourished us to care for your world. And those things led the early Christian church to develop what they call the Great Thanksgiving. In a lot of high church traditions, they call it the Eucharist. The Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharista. Well, I put a little Spanish twang on that, didn't I? <laughs> eucharista, that, um, that means great thanks. That's what that word means, great thanks. Thanks, right? And so that is the foundation of our meal. And this all com comes to me from Ruth Duck, who wrote a book called Worship for the Whole People of God. And she talked about five elements that take place in Holy Communion that we ought to pay attention to. And that's the first one. The second <coughs> is about memory. Remember, when Jesus breaks the bread and shares a cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so it is what the church folks call anamnesis. Not that you forget everything. That's not what that word is. Okay? It's, it's a re-remembering. Re-remembering, right? We're going to re-remember what Jesus did on that last night of his life. We're going to remember not just that night. We're going to remember his whole life, his death, his resurrection. And so we take the memories of past experiences and use them in our current moment, right? That's what am anamnesis means. In Holy Communion, we remember the meal in such a way that we participate in the meal in the present moment. And, and, and so what we in our, in, in our everyday life call it is reminiscing. In the meal, we reminisce about Jesus, what we know and have been taught, right? I mean, you know this. Thanksgiving meal, what do you do? You sit down with people or friends, family or family of choice, friend, or have a Friendsgiving or whatever. You, you do the, and what do you do? You tell stories. You tell stories about the time we had the Thanksgiving meal and Mama Jo was cooking the turkey, and every time she opened the oven, it went, and we all laugh because we vividly remember that. 
or the time we were at my grandparents' house and my grandmother, who always burned the biscuits, burned everything that was in the <laughs> oven that, that Thanksgiving. So, I mean, that's what we do. We remember and give thanks. And sometimes we remember hard things. And yet we give thanks. It's called the reminiscing. Um, so in Holy Communion, we remember the past, Jesus' life and death and resurrection, so that we participate in his life and death and resurrection. And then there is the, the, what is called the, the 25-cent church word, epiclesis. Can you say that with me? Epiclesis. <laughs> the epiclesis simply means transformation. So, you know, when we ask everybody to extend their hand in a palm-up gesture of giving and receiving, and then we pray, and then we pray over that and ask the Holy Spirit to be upon us and upon these gifts of grape and grain, that is the epiclesis. That is when we're asking for transformation. And in a really high church tradition, like the Roman Catholic tradition, there is a, they have a kind of belief that these elements actually transform. We're not part of that tradition, but we do say that somehow the risen Christ is in the midst of this prayer and is with us and among us and between us and beyond us. And somehow this happens in that moment. It's called the epiclesis. And so the last thing it is the, well, the two last things are is that we remember that in this meal we find right relationship with God and one another. It is called communion. It is the communion of people, all the people of God. We share the bread so that we can be united in life, in oneness with Christ, and it helps us to know the essence of unity even in the midst of our divisions. So um, before COVID, Stephanie started having what we call these pop-up dinners, right? So on Friday or Saturday, she would, Friday, whenever we were having the meal, at 7 a.m., she would post on Facebook, here is a menu. This is what is going to be served tonight at our house. For the first eight people that say they can come, and this is no joke, for the first eight people that say they can come, come to our house and we'll have this meal. Complete strangers. I mean, not, I, I mean, they were, we posted to friends, I mean, we got mainly friends on Facebook. But they were strangers to each other, complete strangers. And so we would come to this table, and you would be amazed in this table gathering at how strangers became friends. And we had such joy at these pop-up meals. And this, think of this, the, the best pop-up meal ever. Yeah. <laughs> All the strangers come together and become community, communion. And then... Also in this meal, we rehearse God's future, the reign of God. The big word for that is the eschatological word of God, that this is about the culmination of all things coming into fruition. Now, a lot of people think it's, uh, that when I say that, it's about the revelation of God at the end of the Bible, and a lot of people mistake eschatological for that, but... The eschatological word is about culmination, the fulfillment of all things. And we need to keep focused on that. 
the foretaste of God's future hospitality of the table and justice embodied. In other words, justice becomes embodied in us. So I want you to think about that. And it's not just about justice for all people, but it's also about economic justice for all people, right? And so when we do the blessing bags next, next week, the transference of what we encounter here at this table is met with us in these bags where we care for those who need us the most, right? Okay, that's the, that's the lecture for today. I hope you took notes. Um, the communion table invites us to encounter the hospitality of God and the power of hospitality and welcome in the sacrament of communion is hard to ignore. For example, the opening words of the sacrament of Holy Communion in the United Methodist Church says this, Christ, our Redeemer, invites to this table all who love God. An all-encompassing invitation. In short, the Feast of Holy Communion always begins with an invitation. But if increased isolation, building higher fences, perpetually locked doors, gated communities, and not-in-my-backyard sentiment is, sentiment is rising in our world today and in our society, we are, that's teaching us anything but hospitality. Real and genuine hospitality is hard, and we need to acknowledge that. And that's why we come to this table, to be reminded that we can still be hospitable people and still practice safety and boundaries and all the things that keep us healthy and happy and whole, but that we can, we can learn how to remember what it is to be people of great and gracious hospitality. And you and I both know that we're predisposed to people who are different from us. We have been taught to be afraid. Uh, and we kind of already have a predisposition for that any, anyway. And this fear gets bigger as you get older, believe me. Just believe me. I'm just telling you. Uh, but Jesus preached a gospel that overturned the differences in his community. And, and of course, uh, it threatened his life. But that was the true reality of what he was trying to teach us. So, um, and here's what's really interesting. I think it's important for us to remember that throughout the Gospels, Jesus' entire ministry, as that of Paul's, was the reliance on friends and strangers. We learned about Lydia last week. A stranger to Jesus and his, Paul and his followers didn't know the story of Jesus, but when she learned it, she welcomed Paul and his followers into her home. And that we can learn those things, that, that Jesus relied on people to care. I mean, the last meal in which he institutes this table, he borrows a room. He borrows a room in order to have the Passover feast. And, and it's because he sent one of his followers to follow a guy with a a pitcher on his head to a room. And that's how he found the place that they would have their last supper. So even then, Jesus was reliant on strangers and people he had not met for his ministry. Today, uh, we know that there are so many people who are hungry, especially those who are perceived as different. The poor, unhoused, mentally ill, you know, you know the list. 
And this is in the wealthiest country in the world where we know that there is enough food for everybody. And so, you know, people in our churches often provide meals. We do this through blessing bags. Other churches host breakfasts or they have Wednesday night meals that bring people who most need food. And in the context of hospitality, this open table that we have of communion uh, invites all to the table, everyone to the table. And maybe we ought to wonder is if, if the table is not just about feeding people, but being with them, being in community with them. Because that is what Jesus did. The table to which we invited is one of hospitality and meaning, the friendly reception and treatment of guests and strangers. Hospitality is radical because when we live into the way of, that Jesus teaches, it has power to create relationships among unlikely people. So when I was a student pastor, intern, at Grace United Methodist Church in East Dallas, the Holy Communion meal I experienced there was an amazing collection of people. We had wealthy architects, we had lawyers, we had doctors in the community. We also had uh, Cambodian refugees and people who had slept on the church steps the night before and still smelled a little bit of, of the alcohol they had had. And yet, to share in that communion was an amazing moment of unity, an amazing moment of community. It was a beautiful experience. So Jesus' lesson at the Last Supper was clear. The meal is for the whole realm of God, all of us, and that includes you and me. Mary Ludi, who is one of my favorite devotional writers, writes this about the meal. Sometimes I wonder what would happen if we understood our presence and sharing of the food at the table as a gift to someone who needs to know that their sin and brokenness do not make them undesirable to Jesus or to us. If we understood that, perhaps we would understand that others present with us in the meal are often bringing healing that we need to. This is the good news for us as we prepare our hearts to come to this table this day. Amen.